Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I am joined by my co-host, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. We're very happy to be coming to you not only on radio and not only on podcast, but on video. You can find us on YouTube and all the social media channels. Speaking of social media channels, I am really, really happy to have today's guest back with us because he has become one of the most informative and entertaining follows you can get on Twitter. Before he was a Twitter star, Mark Jacob was actually productively employed in the world. He is one of the clearest, sharpest minds on the state of the media today because he spent 41 years in daily newspapers, mostly in Chicago. He's the former Sunday editor of the Chicago Sun-Times and the former Metro editor of the Chicago Tribune. You've sort of got a Siskel and Ebert thing going with yourself, Mark. Yes, right. I'm kind of bifurcated there, but it's I, I got kind of both sides of the Chicago media that way. The Sun-Times was a little bit more a little bit more liberal and the Tribune was endorsed almost every Republican who was ever nominated for the last 150 years. That's actually a perfect lead in to what I think we wanted to talk about today because you're, if I had to characterize sort of your, your theme in public over the last year, it's been the false appearance of balance that journalists, that the media overall likes to cultivate. And this is perhaps the most important topic facing us today is sort of that nexus of the media and the threats to American democracy and how the former is treating the latter. And maybe the lead into this is something Paul and I have been discussing on our show quite a bit in recent weeks, a few weeks ago, NBC News in a poll found that the number one issue for Americans wasn't inflation. It was actually threats to democracy. And whether you buy into the specifics of that poll or not, there's no doubt that there's an increasing risk to our country from a faction of Americans who the president called in his major Philadelphia speech, MAGA Republicans. He's talking about Trumpists and Donald Trump and everyone associated with them. And I think his point, and that's really been your point, is that we can no longer afford to pretend that we live in, in normal times, in a normal political environment, and that the old-fashioned approaches that we took with that seeming appearance of balance still can apply and that we can survive as a country. Let's start by just talking about the threat a little bit. Now, you recently tweeted a terrific thread. Again, I can't urge people enough to follow Mark Jacob on Twitter. It's Mark Jacob 16. Mark Jacob 16. A-C-O-B 16. I'm going there right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm, which I'm, which I'm older than 16, though, but I, I will let you know. <laughs> you, were, you weren't born on leap year, were you? No. <laughs> I, I, I'm at Matt L. Robeson. Paul is at Paul Hodes 1. So, all right, here we go. You, you put out this terrific thread about the parallels between the MAGA movement and the rise of Nazism. Now, it is always, always fraught. It's usually a political mistake to compare anything to the Nazis and you know that better than anywhere, but you, yeah. you, anyone, but you went there anyway. Why? Why do you think that comparison applies? Well, I, I agree with you that it, it that it can be overdone and that it's almost like, and in fact, I wrote an op-ed for the Tribune maybe 15 years ago saying that whenever you, whoever brought up the Nazis first was making the biggest mistake because, and, and that was the case. It was, I think Dick Durbin was like 
comparing something Guantanamo to the to to the Nazis, I believe. And so I know it's fraught with peril, but you know when if you if you read history like I do, it, it keeps on coming up. And I think that there's, I worry that there's a basic misunderstanding of what fascism is, of what authoritarianism is, and what it means. And one a book that really influenced me was *The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich* by William Shirer, who was a former Chicago Tribune foreign correspondent who witnessed firsthand the rise of the Nazis. And he wrote this book after the war about that, about the rise and fall of, of Nazism. And I, I decided to reread it just recently, you know, when you start reading the early days, you, re, you realize that somebody, that a guy named Adolf Hitler attempted a coup, was thrown in prison for a very short time, and they let him out, no harm, no foul. And a decade later, he was in, he had overtaken democracy and destroyed it in Germany and was leading the, his country to one of the biggest disasters in world history. And so he, so there's that. There's also, when you look at just the way the Nazis rose, it was very much them being dis, discounted and dismissed. Oh, Hitler's just kind of a kook. The very first, by the way, the very first New York Times mention of Adolf Hitler says that yeah, sure, he's talking anti-Semitism, but but it, that's just over-exaggerating. He doesn't really believe it. Mm. And, I mean, you can go back and find it. It's like if you Google it, you'll find it. The New York Times said that in the 1920s, their first their first mention of him. Shira's <laughs> book deals with a lot of that, with with some of with centrist politicians discounting the Nazi threat. Even when they made Hitler, they made him chancellor. Von Hindenburg made him chancellor. He felt like if he brought Hitler into the government, he'd stop causing trouble. And obviously that didn't happen. Hitler took that to just become a dictator very quickly. And so there was this discounting of people the same way that I think people kind of chuckle at Trump and think he's a kind of a clown and, and don't worry about, they don't think there's really that much to worry about. There's this, this, this break with reality, this idea that we're just fine. There's no problem. You know, go on, watch Netflix. Don't worry about it. Everything will turn out fine. And it doesn't always turn out fine. So you have that, then you have, if you read Shirer's book, you get all these, and I, in my tweet thread, I, I, I just took some, some pictures of the pages that referred to this, these instances, but you, you see how he took over education. You see how the assault on books and the idea that books should be banned or burned. There's, there's, there are just all these, there's this appeal to Christianity because the Nazis, at least in, obviously they were not Christian people, but they gave lip service to Christian Christianity and attempted to kind of align themselves with certain Christian groups for their own benefit, which I think is certainly happening today with the Republican Party. And, and especially the most corrupt members of the Republican Party, the, the most sinful are <clears throat> aligning with the people who think they're the most sinless. And so there's, so there's, so there, it's just stunning how when you read that book, every few pages, you come across something that just feels like today. Well, and, oh, and just to quickly follow up on that thought, one of the things that, that struck me in reading your tweet thread and thinking about the parallels, and by the way, I, I own that book. I don't have it on the bookshelf behind me because it prominently displays a swastika, which is mm -hmm. not something that you want displayed on your Zoom wall. Right. But one of the things that struck me about your, your Twitter thread was that it, it very strongly implies something that 
was sort of a, a matter of historical debate, especially in the 90s when Daniel Goldhagen's book, Hitler's Willing Executioners, right. came out back in 1996, which is the role of the complicity of sort of what we might call today the base, the supporters mm. of Adolf Hitler, and also his lieutenants, his henchmen, the people who enabled him. I do see a very strong parallel here today where there's a cadre, and I think this is what the president was talking about. There's a cadre of leaders who should know better, who repeatedly, I mean, look at Lindsey Graham, who in the midst of Donald Trump's absolute cannon, water cannon of lies after the election said, well, he's just saying this stuff. He doesn't believe it. What's the harm in humoring him? Right. Just a right. little while was his, was his big quote. Well, we saw what the harm was of that, obviously. And so I guess my, my question to you about this is, to what degree is this Trump? And to what degree is this Trump's enablers and henchmen? And I, I'm, I'm less focused on sort of the base, the voters. I'm much more focused on kind of the middle management of the MAGA right. movement, right. the leaders who should know better, the Lindsey Grahams, even Eileen Cannon, that, you know, that right-wing right. judge who just gave that ridiculous ruling in the Mar-a-Lago case. How, how culpable and complicit are they in this rise of this American fascist movement? Right. That's a, that's a thing. I mean, in this country in 2016, early 2016, that to me was the most frightening thing. And I think when historically, when we look back on it, that will be considered a really important time when Trump was clearly gaining with the Republican base by saying a bunch of racist things. And you saw, you really, I mean, I was raised in a Republican household, so I don't have any natural antipathy toward Republicans at all. And I, when I got to that point, I thought, you know, people are going to start calling them out. I mean, there's going to be, they're going to, they're, there's going to be a coalescence of opposition to Trump that's really going to just pick somebody else and they're going to, they're going to stop him. Didn't happen. They all rolled. They all, they all decided that their ambition was way more important than the future of our democracy. They just rolled. And that, and that same thing happened in Germany too, where there were some opponents and they got arrested or executed. And the rest of them just kind of went along and decided that that was their, that was their career. And so they were going to be politicians and they were going to continue to be politicians and everything was going to be just fine. And, and one of the things I wanted to make really clear is that when, and I made, I think I made it clear in this tweet thread, is that I'm not saying that MAGA Republicanism is Nazism. I'm saying that right now in 2022 looks a lot like what Germany looked like in 1932. Not in 1939, not in 1940, not, not, not death camps, but it looks like what it looked like when the Nazis took over, crushed dissent, closed newspapers, burned books, and arrested people, and, and turned, created a one-party cult of personality. Well, one thing I wanted to mention, if, if, you got, if we have time, it, that I actually kind of had forgotten about that was, I thought was really instructive in Shira's book. This idea of the big lie to kind of make to motivate people. We know the big lie today is the idea that the election was stolen in 2020. In Germany, after World War One, there was horrible suffering and this ignominious defeat. And 
people started coming up with this idea that there was a stab in the back, that the army could have won World War I, but that the politicians back in Germany had surrendered unnecessarily. There was a stab in the back led by the Jews and other treasonous politicians, and they call it uh, Hitler called them November November criminals. And so that was a phrase between the wars in Germany. They would talk about the stab in the back and the November criminals. And so, which there's no evidence that it ha that happened. Shirer takes it apart and makes it clear that it was the, the military was saying, hey, we can't win this war. It wasn't the people back back home in the in, in the capitals. And but this, so this big lie really motivated people in, in Germany. And the, the ability of a big lie that's just based on nothing to create this resentment and to and to create enemies, because that's another thing that's really important for fascism is to create enemies. And and that's what's happening today. You know, immigrants are the enemy, Muslims are the enemy. So the the anyone who's woke, whatever that means, is the enemy. And so this this creation of enemies is is a way that fascists coalesce their support. And obviously we know what happened in Germany when Jews, gypsies, and other marginalized groups were created, were called enemies. And and so it, it's 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 what I'm saying in this tweet thread and just in what I when discussing Hitler and, and MAGA is not that they're the same thing. I'm just saying that we're on a really scary course right now. And and we've seen it happen before. It doesn't end well. It ends very badly. And 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 I don't want to see how it plays out. I don't I don't I do not want to see the natural conclusion of MAGA Republicanism. I think that'd be very scary. So so Mark, the I, I want to focus for a second on some of the terminology we've been using because you know in your tweet thread you talked about the parallels between MAGA and the rise of Nazism. We've used we've we've now heard the term fascism. A fascism is a complex ideology which sets us against them often relies on ethnic divisions of the kind we've talked about fascism is a political ideology and we come to the term autocracy an autocrat is or an autocracy is control of society or government by one person absolute absolute control i'm not sure whether autocracy requires fascism or fascism requires autocracy or whether they're the same or different. One is a political ideology. The other is simply a description of, of what, what happens when of absolute power in the hands of one person. In thinking about how the media approaches or doesn't approach the terms and in telling it like it is, you know, I'm reminded that Tom Nichols at The Atlantic came under some fire recently for using the word autocracy in connection with Donald Trump. And it it goes without saying for me, Trump has has cozied up to autocrats. He seems to, that's the camp he, 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 he apparently wants to put himself in. He's above everybody else. You know, only he can fix things. He seems, it's pretty clear that he is a would-be autocrat. Why has the media been so reticent about telling it like it is because the media to a large extent is serving itself instead of serving the public i think that the media the media is scared of telling the truth when it comes to horrible things happening in politics the you know nobody was set up for this kind of this rise of of fascism and it is fascism this rise of authoritarian 
sentiment and also the, the willingness, the criminality, the willingness of the Republican Party to cheat in elections and, and try to overturn legitimate elections. That those are all very scary things that we weren't dealing with by 1960. And I think that the news media is really into its own bad habits and lazy habits. It really liked the idea that the Republicans and Democrats were just the sharks and the jets. They were just two different teams playing. We were all referees. We were just playing, throwing up the jump ball and seeing whoever got it. And it was all just fine. And the media, I think, is afraid of the stakes of this. They realize that this isn't just a, a ball game. This is the whole future of our country. This is our, our grandchildren's future. This is everything. And they're not taking it seriously enough. One of the things that, as a former member of the news media, it's just astounding to me is how the biggest story of our lifetime is sitting right in front of us. That's the rise of fascism and the assault on democracy. The biggest story of our lifetime, yet they're afraid to cover it. They don't wanna cover it. They'd much rather cover this idea, well, the midterms, the party that's not in power usually gains and, and the way that things usually are. And, you know, let's go onto the hustings and, you know, all this old fashioned, crazy, just old fashioned hidebound political talk that's just people talking to each other, news media people talking to each other. It has nothing to do with people's real concerns. Is I it mean, just right because now, is it just because they're slow to catch up or is it conscious to figure out we, we've got to sell our infotainment? And if we talk about how bad things are, people aren't going to want to tune in and, and buy, buy our stuff. There are a lot of different explanations. One of them is, is that indeed the news media just like that whole Republicans and Democrats treat them equally, equal number of quotes, put them in the story, just send it to your editor and go home and eat dinner. They like that kind of thing. Go to the cocktail parties, everyone can chuckle, go to the correspondence dinner and they can all, the news media can act like they're friends with the politicians. That whole, they love that chummy stuff. And if they, and they wanted it to go on forever. Then the Republican party became a criminal enterprise and they failed to adjust to it. They were like, they were clinging to this old notion where, where Barry Goldwater and various other people are the, represent Republicanism instead of criminals like Donald Trump and Michael Flynn. It really reminds me of the Edward R. Murrow moment that we're not having right now. Someone with unassailable credibility as a media figure willing to speak out and, you know, in, in his case, call out McCarthyism and say, no, no, enough, enough. And America listened. We don't have that quite anymore. We don't have a Walter Cronkite. I guess I view you that way. But, you know, America in general doesn't have a figure with that amount of credibility. What we do have are networks. We have institutions. We have media outlets, which still retain some of that heft. And we're in the middle of seeing one kind of retreat and shrink from that role. So what we've seen in recent weeks is the highly respected journalist, John Harwood, who on CNN the day after the president's speech said, basically, you know, the president was, he, he was really onto something here. And it was announced hours later that he was no longer with the network. In late August, CNN canceled Reliable Sources, the long-running Sunday show focused on the media and got rid of host Brian Stelter, who was one of the most prominent critics of Donald Trump and Fox News. And just today, as we record this, we're recording this on Friday the 9th, uh, The Hill, the Capitol Hill newspaper, had a headline, 
changes spark chatter of CNN shifting to the right. What is happening and why is it happening? Well, all right. So I mentioned that one of the reasons that news media failed so utterly in this critical time is that they wanted everything just to be the same as it always was. And, it, and, and that happened. Another thing is that, is that there's very much interest in news media protecting the news media instead of protecting the public and serving, the, serving themselves, not serving the public. And so what's best for the news media? A news, news outlet would be better off not making any politicians angry and just kind of becoming a conduit for whatever they have to say. Just give us whatever you have to say, we'll put it on the air, fine. You wanna give us, you wanna bring Kellyanne Conway in to lie to us, we'll put, we'll- It's called alternative problem. facts, alternative yeah, facts. Oh, right. You know, and, and, and in fact, even before Stelter and Harwood left CNN, I had, was on, I had given CNN a timeout for myself. I do that with news media when they piss me off too much is I give them a timeout. And I gave CNN a timeout about a month or so ago when they had Kellyanne Conway on the air to push her new book. She's not a public official anymore. There's really no reason to put her on unless you want, to, you want somebody to lie to your audience. And, and that's what it was. And Mick Mulvaney, the same way with CBS. And he was on CNN too. Proven liar. Somebody who, who just can, his word cannot be trusted. And you're putting him on the air. Why? Well, why you're doing it, CBS, I think they pay Mick Mulvaney to appear on their TV shows. I think what they're doing is they're buying access. They want, mm -hmm. they want, they want to make sure that when they call Republicans, they pick up the phone. They want to be able to use them as sources. They want to be part of the system. They don't, the reporters, the thing about this is reporters hate being accused of bias. They just hate it. And I know because when I was Metro editor at the Tribune, we were doing really hard hitting investigations against Mayor Rahm Emanuel and many other people. And they hated us. And, and, and his defenders accused us of bias. We were unfair and all this stuff. And so news media doesn't like that. And so how does news media respond to that? In a number of ways, but mostly protectively by creating a false equivalencies, creating, oh, so you have one, on one side, you have a guy who has stolen top secret nuclear records and has plotted to overthrow the government and has incited a mob to make a deadly assault on the U.S. Capitol. That's on one side. And on the other side, Joe Biden had two Marines in the background when he gave his speech last week. And so they're both really horrible. And so we have to give them equal weight. And, and so there is this, in, in the case of CNN, some of the people who were there, still there, Brianna Keeler's comes to mind, who I have always thought was pretty good, has really kind of taken a bad turn by focusing on that Marines thing, which I, I, I don't mean, I don't think you should, I'm not saying you, that you can't mention it, but this has become this kind of days long campaign about how horrible it was, even though everyone's shown pictures of every recent president in our lifetime having military people behind them as they gave speeches. And but so she's pushed on that. And my, my personal theory, I don't know her, but my personal theory is that what she's done is she's seen all the pressure on people in all the talent at CNN, and she wants to throw a bone to the people in upper management. She wants to show them, okay, I'll go after Biden too. Leave me alone. Let me, don't fire me. And that kind of protective journalism is terrible. The truth is I've never seen a really high impact 
news story that didn't piss somebody off. I mean, in, in fact, I, I used to tell my reporters that I said, if you're not pissing anyone off, you're not doing a good job. Well, there, there you go. There's something that you and Paul Hode share in common, which is that you've probably both been the recipient of profanity-laced calls from Rahm Emanuel. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't I, talk to him on the phone. My editor did, though, my boss. I, I have stories I could tell. Very, very, very persuasive in the invective and profanity department. But look, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the irony of this situation. Here we are at the very moment when some backbone uh, in the media is required to call out a threat and drop the journalistic pretense of being above it all and both sidesism and but major news sources like CNN as we've been talking about are moving in the other direction I, I'm curious to know did you see and feel those kinds of pressures when you were at the Sun-Times? I mean, and, and what are your former colleagues from around the industry, the news industry, telling you off the record about what is happening where, where they work? What are, 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 are journalists all over feeling these pressures from upper management or on their own? Are they coming up with this? Oh, we gotta, we gotta be fair, we gotta do both sides. I mean. It would seem that this situation, the rise of fascism and the criminality of the Republicans is 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 so out of the box, is such an unusual lifetime event that that the 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 fourth estate, that journalism would say this is not like yesterday. This is not like, you know, any time before in this country, something's up and we got to deal with it, but they're running in the other direction. What are, you, what are you hearing? Well, like any other business, journalism is risk averse. They don't, people don't want to take chances. You know, they want to have a career. They want to get a paycheck. They want to feed their family and all that stuff. So I, so I think people are operating out of fear. The, the, but the, the, the thing that is mind blowing to me is that you have the biggest story of, the, of your lifetime in front of you and you can't, and you don't want to cover it. And I do think that CNN and places like that are a little bit scared of, of the news. And, and they don't, and, and if you tell it like it is, I mean, it's why this parade of euphemism happens whenever they discuss Trump's lies or, you know, that, you know, the Trump, the, the Republicans trying to stating that Mar-a-Lago, you know, the theft of documents and the hiding of them in Mar-a-Lago as a record storage problem. <laughs> Routine, I mean, routine storage facility. Yeah, right. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's like a normal tourist, tourist visit in, at the Capitol. I mean, but, but they, they say absurd things like that, and, and, and the news media reports it, but the news media doesn't really put a fine... The, the news media, by and large, does not want to put a real sharp point on it. They want to they wanna sand off the point. They want to they not piss off the one side so they, they, they call them, they call them too liberal or whatever, but they, they want to avoid being too sharp. They want to they give everything, well, and on the other hand, everything's on the other handism. And, and, and that's, that's not good journalism. It's also not good for democracy, but it's, I feel like, I feel like they just, the news media wants to get out of the way and they don't want to, and I understand when I was Metro editor, the last thing I wanted to do was tell anyone how to vote. I did not want to, I, I didn't want them to, I wanted to give everyone the facts and trust in the citizens 
to have this good sense to to vote for the right people and vote against the the bad people. But I, I and I didn't want to. And so and so I, I understand why journalists today would feel like they, maybe they're putting their thumb on the scale if they go go too hard on on Trump. But but uh, honestly, this is a disaster. This is like a, a, a tornado hitting your town, except it's hitting every town in America. This well, you got to be fair to the tornado, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, maybe that tornado, maybe that was, there was a, maybe the Italian satellites and the Jewish space lasers caused that tornado and it wasn't Or it fault. used to be a hurricane. It was assigned the, the label hurricane at birth, right. but right. then it right. discovered it was a tornado. So it's a threat. Right. You don't, you don't want to. So I, what's interesting, a lot interesting in what you're saying, this perception among journalists and among the media organizations that they work for, that they are in danger of putting their thumb on the scale. It's a very interesting perception because it suggests that kind of like the old fashioned scales of justice, right? There's a scale and they don't want to tilt too far to one side. And it comes against a backdrop that we've all been fed for years now that the scale's already tilted. It's tilted against conservatives, clearly. We all know that it's the liberal media, the lamestream media, as Sarah Palin put it. And if there's one thing that drives me absolutely nuts, there are many things, I'm a cranky guy. If there's one thing that drives me absolutely nuts, it's that perception, which is such a classic darvo on the part of Republicans, deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. Because when you just look at the numbers, and I'm not going to bore all of our viewers and listeners with just a cavalcade of numbers. I am a Democrat. I like that kind of thing. But, you know, just just a sampling. I mean, last August, Fox News almost swept the 100 most watched cable telecasts. They got 94 out of the top 100. In prime time in that period, Fox had a total audience of 2.5 average, 2.5 million viewers. MSNBC, half of that. CNN, a third of that. There are 1,500 conservative radio stations across the country. We're on air on this show in New Hampshire. As far as Paul and I can tell, we are the only, besides NPR, we're the only, I guess you could call us liberal, I mean, Democrat, kind of. There is one other. There's one other that we can tell that's a talk radio format in the entire state of New Hampshire. And the, the dominance on radio of conservative talk is well documented. I, I, don't, I don't need to go into it. And then you get the internet. In 2019, there were around 20 conservative websites, which attracted at least 1 million unique visitors per month. And the, the, the numbers just dwarf, dwarf what you see at the Times, the Washington Post, CNN. Anyway, the point is, that reality is that if anything, those scales are vastly tilted toward the Republican side, what you used to call the conservative right. side. Yet, yet, Matt, when yes. they do polls and everything else, you find that most human beings in America, most Americans believe in a more kind of left of center viewpoint. A Republican candidate for president has won the popular vote once in the last quarter century. I mean, come on. Right. And and you look at these opinion polls, you look at the poll about the Roe versus Wade, that's it's 60 percent or more believe in, in reproductive rights. So I do think that 
you know, without getting too paranoid about everything, I do think there's a real problem with extremely rich people controlling media and controlling media for the right. You know, this idea that the that the American news media is is left is a joke. Right. I mean, you just pointed out the, the the facts on the ground. Right. We've all been hoodwinked into this perception. I guess my question, I should turn that into a question because we are interviewing you. I mean, I guess the question that flows out of that is, do you think that that perception, which the Republican Party has been pushing for ages now, has sort of seeped into the water that that journalists drink in and that it's that it's influencing them, that they feel like they need to push back again. And, and, they're, and they've got it backwards. If anything, they need to counterbalance the thumb that's on the scale the other way. Well, what's, what's important to remember is that, that advocates for the left and the right, they don't necessarily want the news media to be objective. That's mm-hmm. why I think it's a, it's a ridiculous thing for the news media itself to, to, to have this myth of objectivity where if they, they triangulate and they piss off the left and the right equally, that they, they've succeeded. Because nobody, because these right-wing people who are complaining about how liberal the news media is, they don't want it to be fair. They they want it, the news media to say what they want. That's different from objectivity. And so, so there is that. They, uh, I, I just, I just feel that this whole that there's kind of a myth of objectivity, and that people need to to say where they're coming from, and 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 that would be a make create a much more honest media environment. So, I mean, we've been talking about the earned media and the impetus to for both sidesism to try to appear balanced for people to keep their jobs, for not to ruffle the feathers, to stay close to politicians. It's it's led to meet the the generally the, the news media being, I think, unfairly critical of Biden, amplifying bad news angle about the economy. So so there you have the media, but it, it's ironic that it seems like earned media is having more influence than ever before, especially compared to the paid media that politicians spend so many billions of dollars paying for. I mean, look at what happened with with Hillary. Clinton had a three to one TV advantage after Labor Day in 2016. She lost to Trump because Trump was just getting slathered by the cable news coverage. It, It was everywhere. And there was no way that the paid that that any of the paid media could compete um, it seems like we have more influence and less truth-telling going on. Do you see it that way? Oh, I think that, that that one of the big takeaways from the last 20 years is that propaganda works. And I feel like that that the right wing is just great at it. They are they are the, they are so skilled at propaganda. The left is way behind, and I don't even know if they're going to catch up. The and and Fox News, if you look at Fox News. I think in the early days, Fox News was conservative, but it was still within the bounds of what you would consider to be a news gathering operation. They still were fact based and steadily, 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 they became more right wing and more a kind of a fact averse, more, more making up stuff, more like taking things completely out of context and going crazy with them. No more, more really carrying the water for, for Republican politicians and to where what you get, what you get now is the Fox News of today. And so I think that the Republicans and, and right wing in general have been very skillful. You look at Cambridge Analytica and how they 
they worked out all the demographics on on, on, on people and groups to target in you know in 2016. The, 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 the level of high-tech propaganda going on in our society, I mean, I think we know about 20% of it. And I think the rest of it is, is influencing us. So I, I don't know what the answer. I don't really have an answer for this because I think that propaganda works. I think that you tell people something enough times, they're gonna believe it. Like people believe Trump is a good businessman. He's not a good businessman. There was one place that could, would, would give him a loan and that place won't tell us why they gave him the loan or, or, or who guaranteed the loan. I mean, come on. He's like, he cheated on his taxes. He cheated on everything. He didn't pay anyone. Yet because he was on TV as, you know, and, and portrayed a successful businessman, and, you know, some people, there are people who actually think that if you're on TV, that means you're real, that, they, that if you're not on TV, you're not real. And that TV confers this legitimacy on people. And therefore, Trump was on TV. So he was a brilliant businessman. And we should vote for him because he was such a brilliant businessman. And that's just a lie but that was repeated a bunch of times. A well, bunch that's of times. Putting, well, that's exactly why we're putting these podcasts on video, because it confers legitimacy on what we're saying, because people can <laughs> see our face. Except now I'm getting feedback that people like me better when they couldn't see me. I mean, I think... I don't have a solution either. And if, and if you don't have one, I definitely don't have one. But I think it starts at the very least in correcting that, that created falsehood, that misperception that we have a liberal news media slant, that, that just getting rid of that canard would be a great starting point. You know, I, it was demonstrated to me perhaps the best recently by what we've seen on the reporting on the economy, Paul just alluded to this. I just had Dr. Joanne Shu, who directs the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, and it's one of the most watched economic metrics. And they put out this fascinating graph that basically consumer perceptions of the economy correlate almost exactly. I can put it up when we put out this video. Correlates almost exactly with how much good news or bad news you've heard out there. It doesn't and people say in surveys that recently for the last year or two, 80% say that their personal finances are great, right. but about 14% say that the economy is great. Well, why is that? Right. It's because why? what they hear in their news environment is things are terrible. Now, I understand that inflation has a huge impact on people's psychology, but a big part of this is you're just getting all these news stories. Well, why is that? It's because as we've demonstrated from the numbers I rattled off a second ago, more than half of the news media is outright Republican. They're just outright pushing the Republican line. And the remaining percentage is trying to achieve this illusion of objectivity and trying to tell both sides. So just add up the numbers. You've got like 60, 70% is straight right-wing stuff. And then the remainder is half and half. Well, what are people gonna get time after time? Again, I don't have any solutions myself, but I think if we could sort of unwind this perception that the, the thumb is on the scale the other way, right. it might start to unwind some of this. I do have one solution. One of the things that would help, I think, is if you didn't put kooks on television all the time. If you didn't put people who are going to lie to your audience on television all the time. And they do that. And, and it's almost the kookier they are, the more they get on television. And it becomes this kind of entertainment coverage of politics where, oh, here's a Marjorie Taylor Greene says something else crazy. And 
the thing that it's that goes back to what I said about television conferring legitimacy in some people's minds. And and as well, if they put the kook on television, they must not be a kook. And and so so if television and newspapers had a rule that they're not going to let people lie in their pages or on their TV screens, I think we'd be a lot better off. Yeah. I, and I'm not talking about opinions. I'm not talking about people who think that who who have certain opinions that might be true, might be false. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about verifiable false statements. I mean, just plain old lies that you know are lies. And they, the last time you had this guest on, they lied repeatedly. Why are you having them on again? That's right. what I'm talking about. Or Chris Wallace, real-time fact-checking Donald Trump during the 2020 presidential debates and saying, no, that's, that's not true. What you're mm -hmm. saying is false. And of course, as you just said a moment ago, what's so insane is that the right wing loses their ever-loving minds. How dare you represent fact? How right. dare you constrain us to objective reality? That's, right. well, look, as Stephen Colbert said, reality has a well-known liberal bias. That's the problem. <laughs> they don't like it. They don't like, they don't like objective reality. All right. We've got to wind down here. So let's, I, a few things. First of all, thank you very much for bringing us all this insight. If people want to follow you on Twitter, which they absolutely should, please say your Twitter handle one more time. Mark, M-A-R-K-J-A-C-O-B-1-6. You will get really the, the most clear-eyed media criticism out there telling it like it is. And some of that corrective that we've been talking about to the absolute water cannon of lies and BS that we get from the right and in the right-wing media filter bubble out there. All right, Mark Jacob, former editor of Chicago Sun-Times, on behalf of me and Paul, thank you so much for being with us on Beyond Politics. Sure, thank you for having me.